It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And welcome into the Virtual Bible Study. We're glad you're a part of it on this Thursday evening, March 27th. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you on Thursday night for the Virtual Bible Study. Well, it's good to be with you, and it's good to be with our listeners tonight. We're glad that you're out there listening to us on the internet and we look forward to hearing from you on the phone at 877-381-4567 or over the email at questions at collegeview.com and we want to remind our listeners dad we haven't reminded them for some time now but we do have a way that they can leave us an audio comment and we would appreciate hearing from our listeners but go to our website and click on the leave an audio comment button that's right we've got three ways for you to contact us by phone 877-381-4567 by email, questions at collegeview.com. Remember the unique spelling of College View, C-O-L-L-E-G-E-V-U-E, collegeview.com. And then on our website, at the same page where you click on to listen to the program, uh, there's a orange button, and it's got kind of a weird name, My Chingo. It's a commercial service that we subscribe to where you can leave us a, an audio message, and we'd love to hear from you. Jake, we'd like people, even during the week, not just during the program, but during the week, uh, give us a, a little... 30-second spot saying, my name is so-and-so, and I'm from this place, and I like to listen to the virtual Bible study. We'd like to add you to our promo list. Well, and people may worry, I'll mess up, and they'll play something that doesn't sound good. You don't have to send that. You can record it, and it'll allow you the opportunity to listen to it before you save it and send it to us. And all you have to do is click the buttons, and when you're ready to send it, just hit the send button, and it'll show up in our inbox, and we can play those on the uh, upcoming virtual Bible study. And there's another thing that we want to offer to you. If, if you want to help us get the word out about the virtual Bible study, we've got some, and these should be ready in a day or two, Jacob, I didn't tell I you. I was going to ask you about this. We, we're getting some bumper stickers, but they're not typical bumper stickers. They're magnetic signs about the size of a big bumper sticker. And uh, if you'd like to have one to stick on your car, you should be able to put it on and take it off and not leave any damage behind. If you'd like to have one of those, uh, we should have them within a day or two. If you'll just send us an email to question. Wait, wait, wait. Shouldn't we say if you'll leave us an audio comment, you can have a bumper sticker? <laughs> yeah. yeah, to everyone who leaves an audio comment. <laughs> to the first 500 listeners. <laughs> if you send us an audio message or if you send us an email to questions at collegeview.com, We'll get you one of those magnetic bumper stickers so that you can help us get the word out about the virtual Bible study. Just let us know. All right. Uh, we look forward to hearing from you, and uh, we hope you will take advantage of that op- opportunity on our website. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Saw a survey this week, Dad, that uh, prompted our discussion tonight. Uh, a recent survey found that uh, one in five Americans say that their most important personal relationship is their relationship with God. Now that's one out of five, only 20, 20%. Only 20%. That survey was done by the Barna Group. That was interesting, an interesting find. But what was more interesting, perhaps, is that seven in ten adults said that a family member was their most important relationship. Seven in ten, 
of Americans say that uh, their relationship with another individual, a family member, is more important than their relationship with God. That is pretty alarming. That's exactly right. Now, that, uh, again, that, that source is Barna Group. You can find them at barna.org, I believe, on the Internet. This came from t- the Nashville, Tennessee, and they had, they had referenced that study. And so only 20%, one out of five, claim that their most important relationship is with God, but 70% say their most important relationship is with a family member. All right, so 70% of America as a whole say that their most important relationship is with a family member over their relationship with God. I would surmise that none of our listeners tonight, Dad, and no one who would claim to be a true Christian, a true follower of Christ, would say that their relationship with a family member is more important to them than their relationship with God. Certainly nobody would say that. I hope not. Remembering several statements by Jesus, such as this one in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, where he said, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, Matthew 10, 37. If we understand the teachings of Jesus, then we have to understand that as important as our family is, and as much as we love our family members, we've got to love the Lord more. All right, and so we have to understand that, and so certainly everybody who's listening to us has heard that instruction of Christ, and so no one would raise their hand and say, I'm, my relationship with a family member is more important than my relationship with God. But it's easy to talk. What do our actions say? Titus chapter 1, verse 16 tells us that we can say one thing and live another way. Titus 1, verse 16, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and to every good work reprobate. You can say one thing and live another. Talk is cheap. How are you living? Dad, so the potential is that though we might say that God is our most important relationship, that our relationship with him is is, uh, paramount to any other relationship, does our, our life really display that? Well, that's right. I mean, we can. That's, I think, the the challenge uh, of of living for the Lord is that it's easy to say, and I think we all know what are the right answers we're supposed to give. The question is whether we actually manifest that in the way that we're living our lives, and that's the challenge. All right, tonight uh, we're not tonight we're not going to take a survey. We're not going to ask you uh, is your relationship with God the most important relationship in your life. What we're going to do is we're going to look at our lives and ask the question: What do our lives say? How are we living yeah. our lives? You know, just one other reference before we get to our questions for the hour, Jacob. In Luke 14, notice how strongly this is worded. In Luke 14, verse 26, Jesus said, "If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren." and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus, you know, I, I knew a man once, Jacob, that was completely just flabbergasted by that statement. He said, I can't not, I, I can't hate my father. He said, I, I love my father. I can't hate my father. And I think he was misunderstanding the, the point that Jesus was making there. He was saying, Jesus is saying that our love for the Lord has to be so great that any that, that everything else pales by comparison. I mean, it's not that... I love I love the Lord first, and I love my wife second, and I love my wife just I mean just a hair, just a fraction less than Jesus. No, Jesus said love for Him has to be off the scale more than even wife, children, so forth. All right. So are we living it in our lives? You've asked a couple questions, Dad, to get the uh, thought started tonight. Well, as we typically do on Thursday, we send out a question to our update list, and we always remind you if you'd like to be added to that list. 
send us an audio message or an email. Uh, you can send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Put in the subject line, add me to your mail list. Or an audio message. And you do the same with the audio we'll message. keep those subtle hints going. Yeah. But the two questions we asked to our to our list today, and we've already got a good bit of feedback, and we want your feedback if you're listening and have not responded yet. Uh, the questions were, number one, in your opinion, what's the most common way that Christians are guilty of putting their own family before their duty to God? Let me restate, restate that. In your own opinion, what's the most common way that Christians are guilty of putting their own family before their duty to God? Question one. Question two. Now, we're going to get to this later in the program, Jacob, and I think it's a question a lot of people are going to be interested in commenting about. In a case where church discipline, often referred to as withdrawing, in a case of church discipline or withdrawing, when that has taken place, how should family members react to a relative who has been disciplined in that fashion by the church? In other words, if we have a family member who's become unfaithful and it's been necessary for the church to take disciplinary action or withdraw from such a person, but that person is in my family. What am I, you know, not only uh, are we brothers and sisters of Christ, but we have a physical blood kinship. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to react? We want to talk about that a little later in the program. So give us your answer to both those questions. 877-381-4567 or email questions at collegeview.com. And we do have a number of responses to those questions, Dad. Randy in Jackson, Missouri, in answer to your first question, what is the most common way that Christians are guilty of putting their own family before their duty to God? He has two ways. He says families often enroll their kids in sports, which require practices or games that conflict with church. And number two, family members often stay home from church services because out-of-town relatives are visiting. Well, you know, that, and I think Randy hit on two of the most common answers we're going to see in our responses tonight. And I agree with Randy on both of them. Uh, I, I see this as a big problem, with, especially with parents who have younger children and they get them involved in these various sports leagues and school activities. I would, in addition to uh, sports, I, I, I would include other school activities like band. Band is a time-consuming one that causes it causes conflicts of schedule. There's there's activities. There's ball games. There's practice. There's school activities. There's band activities, and it's unavoidable that at times those things are going to conflict with the with other things that are scheduled, worship services, Bible studies, and so forth, what are we going to do? Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts? Well, yeah, I mean, the list goes on and on. We're not trying to pick on one. But now these things are important to our kids. Certainly you would not deny that a kid benefits from uh, interaction in, in athletic events and other uh, activities with their peers. We enjoyed them. I played Little League. You played Little League. We liked doing that. My <laughs> kids need it, though, so why is it bad for uh, me to... Uh, Get them involved with those things. Well, it's not bad until it causes us to compromise something that's more important. Now, remember the question, who do we love more? Do we love our kid and love his chance to play Little League Baseball more than we love doing the will of God? That's the challenge. That's the test. And so, we, you know, I think what we're showing, I think Randy's email has hit upon that. When we enroll our kids in activities that like sports or like other school activities, like the Boy Scouts or anything else that's going to cause a compromise of schedule, uh, what we're doing is we're, we're showing 
which is our top priority. Now, both are priorities. There's nothing wrong about having both those things, God and Little League Baseball, for instance. They can both be on our priority list. The question is, which one's higher on our priority list? And if when push comes to shove, God gets shuffled off to second place and Little League Baseball gets first place, then it's pretty obvious which is more important to us. And God says that can't be. You can't love your family and their activities and doing these other things and claim that I am your Lord. All right, Randy starts us off. Hits pretty hard. Hits there close to home. You know, Jacob, one time I remember years ago talking to a fellow who I think is a good dad and a good man and typically would never have done this, but his son was a really fine little baseball player in Little League or maybe even a a league before Little League, and he got picked for the All-Star team, which is at the end of the season. All all season long, they'd done a good job not compromising and not missing services for – for, for the ball games, but when when the all star thing came around, they missed services and and I, I felt like I had to talk to the guy about it because I knew he knew better and I knew he just needed a little push in the right direction. And I said, you know, did you think about what you did? I said, what you did was you taught your son that at least this time, baseball was more important than God. And I said, kids pick up on those lessons in a hurry. And that's the lesson you taught him tonight. And, and to, to this fellow's credit, he said, you're right, and I'll never do that again. All right. Uh, we got to be reminded of our priorities, Dad. Uh, the devil's pretty sly in sliding these things in front of God. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't hit, it, hit us with it all at once. Our priorities shift slowly over time. And so a discussion like tonight's discussion is important so that we're reminded of what's important in our life. We're talking about our family, our relationship with our family, and we're asking the question, is our relationship with our family more important than our relationship with God? Seven out of ten Americans say that their relationship with a family member is more important than their relationship with God. Certainly no Christian would say that, but what is your life saying about your priorities? Are we allowing our families and our relationship with our families to supersede that uh, primary relationship with God that he has told us must be most important. Well, this this very first response from Randy, I think, has really hit upon a thing. I, I mean, it, it's it's something that I see a lot. I, I witness it in Christians who, if you challenge them, they would say, well, this is really important to my kids. This is this is a this is you know something that that they really cherish this this involvement in sports, this band practice, this whatever it is, this Boy Scouts or whatever it is, this is really important to them. And I feel it's important for their maturity and their development and for their rounding out as an individual. You know, you want them to, to really grow and mature in many different ways. And this is important to their development. Well, it's it, it's, 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 it's important. It's probably a huge negative in their development because you're teaching them to compromise their responsibilities to God. And you're actually loving your family more than you're loving God. We'll take a break and let you join in on the discussion. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Hello. Hey, Matt. No, I don't have any plans for Friday night. What are you doing? Oh, I won't be able to go with you to watch that movie. Because, Matt, the movie is rated R. Hey, why don't you just come over and hang out at my house Friday night? Great, I'll see you there. 
Being pleasing to God means that you may have to be different than the crowd, but don't be afraid to stand up for what's right. It just might find it is easier than what you expect. A message brought to you by College U Church of Christ. I'm James Buchanan from Columbia, Tennessee, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight. Thank you again for being a part of it as we talk about our relationship with our family. And we certainly would say that God is more important than any other relationship. Our relationship with him is of utmost importance. But what does our lives say? Is it uh, any chance that we could be? Uh, have those priorities out of whack and that God could have taken a back burner to our relationship with our family. We're asking those questions tonight, and we hope you'll join in on the discussion. In, in response to what we've just been talking about, Jacob, we've got an email from Kent in Jackson, Tennessee, who says, what better example would it be if you could say to your children, we won't be able to go to the ball game today, we'll go to the worship service instead, or, quote, mom can't make your practice tonight, she's going to a ladies' Bible class. It's a better example. You know, I think that's a good point that, that Ken's making there. You know, we can use these things to teach value lessons to our kids. Uh, I remember when you were playing Little League, Jacob, we, we would stay, and even if there was a ball game, we would stay till the last possible minute, and then I, I would jerk you out of the ball game, and we'd head to the church building for Wednesday night worship service. I remember one of your coaches really didn't like us doing that. Most of the coaches were happy when I left. So. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the point of that was that serves as an object lesson. There's, there's, you can teach some values that way. I had a guy. I had a, a a fellow preacher criticize me for that. He said you shouldn't even be at the ball game on Wednesday night, and I disagreed. I thought you know it, it served as an opportunity to teach a, a lesson, but the lesson has to be taught. And if we compromise, then that lesson is being taught too. Who do we love more? Are we, are we willing to compromise God because we love our kids more and we don't want to have to make them suffer what we imagine to be some hardship? You know, one of the things. And this is sort of a soapbox to me, but that that business of these kids' sports, especially. That is so overrated. I mean, we enjoyed that. I enjoyed it as a kid. We enjoyed it when you kids were playing, Jacob. But, you know, in the big picture of life, one of those ball games is completely insignificant. Can you, can, can you remember, Jacob, the score of any one of those games that you played in? No. See, I mean, in, in a matter of just weeks, those those ball games will fade into distant memory. and 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 yet the lesson learned, if we compromise... Uh, and we and we lose sight of what's most important is going to be a lesson learned for a lifetime. All right. Are you are you done? I'm off my soapbox. All right. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com, or the way you do get on your soapbox. We hope you'll join in the discussion. Brian in Plainfield, Indiana, says uh, similar things to what Randy said in Missouri. Uh, the most common way that Christians are guilty of putting their own family before their duty to God is by forsaking the assembly when other family members are due to uh, come in for a visit. Attending at an athletic event with a family member where usually the child is involved. Parents defending their children's sinful behavior. Parents allowing their children to go to the prom or other dances. Relatives defending certain doctrinal errors. He says, I believe this is one of the most common devices the devil uses against Christians. How better to cause us to stumble than by pulling on our heartstrings? And so we appreciate Brian's input. Lots well, of things he, to chew on there. He mentions the two that, that we already had, forsaking the assembly due to family members uh, with an athletic event or family members coming for a visit. You know, we just recently learned of someone who did something similar to this. It was a holiday, and they missed services because they wanted to be with their family. Now, mind you, none of their family are Christians. None of their families care at all for spiritual things. Well, what lesson were they teaching by forsaking the assembly to be with their family 
Their family's lost, and they know it. And yet, when they forsook the assembly, all they did was reinforce the ungodly behavior of their family. They certainly weren't influencing their family toward obedience. And so, again, it's a, it's a sign that we don't love God. We love our family more than we love God. And if we really thought about it, it's not truly loving our family because we're not teaching them the lessons they need to oh, see. Wow, that is an important observation there because if we're not living as we should, we don't love our family members as we should. And so that's an excellent observation. Now, what about uh, this idea of parents defending their children's sinful behavior? That's uh, one that uh, that's pretty easy to get uh, trapped in. Uh, you don't want to condemn your family members. You love them so much. You don't want to say that they're not living as they should. Uh, certainly something that we could fall prey to. Well, I got to say, it sounds like Brian's been around some of the same people I've been around because I've known people who've done that. You know, their kids get involved in sinful activity and instead of correcting them, they defend them. And they, and, and again, that just helps them continue in that. And it's really a sign of, of a lack of love for their children. If they really love their children, love their eternal souls, they would never do that. If they love God like they should, they would never do that. But this is clearly a sign of loving kids. Live, loving your kids more than loving God. If they were saying what they're doing is okay in spite of what God said, we certainly love them more than God, or else you know, we'd have to condemn their behavior. Uh, what about uh, the fourth one that he had there, parents allowing their children to go to the prom or other dances or maybe being engaged in other behavior that they shouldn't be engaged in? Well, I think that goes right in hand with the idea of condoning or defending their sinful behavior. And, you know, we're coming up on prom season, Jake. If you want me to get on another soapbox, I'd jump on that one. Uh, you know, I know a lot of parents who typically probably wouldn't let their kids go to high school dances. They might, they might not. But I know some who would not typically let their kids go to high school dances, but they will let them go to the prom. And, uh, uh, you know, why? Uh, you know, and if you if you ask them the reason why, they say, well, it's such a big, important event in a, in a person's life. You know, this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Well, actually, it would also serve as a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to take a stand for what's right and say, you're not going to the prom, and God's will is going to supersede here, and we could teach them to, to have those values themselves and make those decisions on their own. I, I would hope by the time a kid gets to be a high school junior or senior that – they have enough faith of their own to say, I won't be involved. But if they don't, if they're not, if they haven't reached that point of spiritual maturity yet, then we need to step in and, and give them a, 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 some strength to, to resist Certainly that. Certainly we uh, could use a shift of our priorities to realize how short this life is and how important it is to serve God. And we would not uh, compromise in areas like the prom uh, that uh, simply don't uh, amount to anything in the grand scheme of things. Uh, certainly not worth uh, failing to serve God in order to go to the prom. One listener has responded and says, uh, uh, in regards to what we're just talking about here, about uh, going to the prom, this person says you you wouldn't go to a bar and say, I'm going to go, but I won't drink. But then a lot of people say they're going to go to the prom, but they say they won't dance. So it's a pretty good equivalent, a pretty good parallel. If you say you're going to the prom but you're not going to dance, that's like going to a bar and saying I'm not going to drink. It doesn't make sense. It's not consistent. And I think, again, back to the theme of our of our program tonight, Jacob, it's an indication of people who want to compromise, and it indicates a lack of love for God and a greater love for this life and for our relatives who are involved in those kind of things. We've got to make sure our priorities are correct. We're waiting to hear from you. Brian has one more for us, defending certain doctrinal errors that our relatives are engaged in. So that's close to uh, defending sinful behavior in our children as well. Uh, we allow those relationships to uh, supersede what God has told us. 
That's exactly right. So thanks, Brian, for your email. I think you're right on point. I appreciate all the comments that you made. I think you're exactly right. I don't know if we thanked uh, Kent and uh, Randy, but thank you as well for your comments. Jim in Mount Pleasant. Jim used to leave us audio comments until you made fun of his microphone. I made fun night. of his mic, and I, I, need to see, I need to see Jim and get him a new microphone because right. we like his audio comments. Yeah, we like those better than his typed, but his typed comments are good, too. He says uh, one way is when members determine not to worship on the first day of the week because they have family visiting. Some excuse this by saying it only happens once or twice a year. Instead of setting an example of faithfulness for our family, they set the wrong example, placing family over responsibility to God and his people. You know, that excuse, it only happens once or twice a year. How would you like it if it was happening to you? Dad, what if I uh, punched you in the gut once or twice a year? Yeah. Would that be okay? Or what if it was our family member and we said, well, they only rob banks once or twice a year. You know, they they, they only commit fornication and cheat on their wife once or twice a year. I mean, what? how does that, how does that justify anything? If it's sinful behavior... Once or twice a year is way too often, and we shouldn't condone it. All right. Let us hear from you. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Thank you, Jim, for that comment. Jim, Jim has mentioned what we we're, were commenting about there a minute ago, Jacob. This is an opportunity to make a statement to our family. Do we love them eternally, or do we just love them temporarily? Now, we're, we're going to let temporary family relationships uh, uh, and our example during those temporary family relationships Cause them to be lost. How much do we love them? Do we do we really love our family? Do we want them to be saved in heaven? And more importantly, do we love God more than family? That's what we're talking about tonight. All right. Let us hear from you. We want your comments. Jason in Pennsylvania writes, missing services because of family visiting from out of town or having some kind of family function is the most common way I've seen Christians that are guilty of putting their family before God. I believe that it would be a better example to you. Uh, to your family members to show your dedication to the Lord by attending services and doing the Lord's work. I've heard of instances of family members being converted because of a Christian in the family who was dedicated to serving the Lord and wouldn't miss worship for any reason. Wow, there you go. There's your example. Uh, this is very much like Jim's comment. Jason's is right in line with Jim's comment. We're ready to go. But you know what he said there about it, knowing of a family member converted because of the dedicated service of, of, of one of their relatives? We had a case like that right here in the church in Columbia. Uh, both the husband and wife are now dead, but the, the wife was a Christian. Her husband was not. And he, he, he later was converted and actually became a gospel preacher. But he said when he was not a Christian and he was watching his wife's conduct, if she had let down just one time, that's all he needed. If, if she had compromised even the first time to stay away from services in order to do something he wanted her to do, that he would have never been converted, but she never cracked. She never, she never let in, let down, and it eventually changed his heart. Well, if our family members are pretty observant, and Dad, if we allow certain things to come before God, it, it, they realize it's not all that serious with us. It's not all that important. And you know what? They're right. If we allow other things to come before serving God. It shows that it's not all that important to us. And so family members really can tell what's truly in our heart. Exactly right. I've got an email from Roger in Murfreesboro who writes, One of the things that I have witnessed more than anything is family members justifying the ungodly behavior of their own family, even when they're members of the Lord's church. Sin is sin and should not be tolerated by anyone who is a disciple of Christ. I love and cherish my three boys, but when they go against my instructions, they will know about it 
and get what they deserve as they get older and hopefully become Christians. I hope that that, that I can maintain the same attitude when they sin. Therefore, I, I think justifying the sin of our own physical family is one way of putting our family before duty to God. I think Roger's exactly right. I've seen, I'm like him, I have seen examples of that. And uh, I, I think people are just making a huge mistake when they go in that direction. All right. Uh, certainly appreciate Roger for those comments. And um, this is Stephen. The next one's from Stephen. No, oh, I, I was thanking oh, oh, Roger oh, 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 for his oh, oh, comments. Okay. Yeah. But we'll jump on to Stephen's comments. So, uh, no, gonna... go ahead. Go ahead. Comment. I uh, thought you were looking to see who this no, next no, one was from. I was from. just looking over uh, Roger's comments there. Uh, any comments about that? Uh, certainly uh, we need to make sure that we don't have that double standard and allow uh, the activity of our family members to supersede what God has written. Let's take a break and go to our this week's bullet point, and uh, we'll give you time uh, to get in on the conversation. We'd like to hear your thoughts. Uh, Dad, the themes have been fairly consistent tonight, and uh, that's a little bit surprising. Usually we have quite a diversity of, uh, of answers they're all lining up with uh, one or two, maybe three uh, different categories here of answers. Maybe you have a different idea that's come to mind uh, during this discussion. We'd like to hear from you. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Here's this week's bullet point. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. The story is told, supposedly true, of a dairy farmer who complained to government officials about changing from standard time to daylight saving time. His concern? He was certain that his cows were not producing as much milk because they were losing an hour's sleep each night. Another farmer is said to have complained because his crops were suffering from the heat produced by an extra hour of sunlight every day. If these stories are true, they surely illustrate that folks can get upset over the most amazing and illogical things. Our experience has demonstrated that church members can also get disturbed by some pretty amazing items. We've known of people who got really heated up over a sermon or by a decision of the elders. Others have gotten ill as a result of something said by a Bible class teacher. And we've heard of some that were really hurt because they felt that they were offended or slighted by another Christian. Oftentimes, when some checking and clarification is sought, it is discovered that there was nothing done to deserve such a reaction. It was simply a misunderstanding. When logic and common sense prevail, many such episodes can quickly be resolved. Now, we're not saying that preachers never make mistakes, that elders are flawless in judgment, that Bible class teachers are always correct in everything, or that Christians don't sometimes act rudely or unfriendly. What we are saying is that we all need to be long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, Ephesians 4, verses 2 and 3. Let's be careful in our dealings with one another. Check things out. Patiently seek clarification. Doing this will keep us on the right track. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm Arthur Haynes from Kaleoka, Tennessee, and one of my greatest highlights of the week is to listen to the Virtual Bible Study. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the Virtual Bible Study. Now, back to the program. And we do hope that you'll share your comments with us. You can do so over the phone. That phone line is open and ready for your call at 877-381-4567. We'll even pay the bill. Uh, join us on the phone tonight or send your email to questions at collegeview.com. I believe we've got an email. We've got an email from Jerry who says, what about those who work overtime and miss worship just to provide more material things for their family? Now I've got to provide for my family. Yeah, you do. And in fact, the Bible tells us that we're supposed to work and earn a living, make provision for our needs. Any man who won't work, neither should he eat. Second Thessalonians 3 verse 10. But I've heard this same excuse that Jerry's mentioned in his email 
Here's a fellow who misses worship all the time. And the reason he's missing worship is because he's working maybe lots of overtime, voluntary overtime, a second job, because he wants to make more money, because he wants to be able to buy more, a bigger house, a nicer vacation, a better car for his family. You know, it's, it's for my family, he says. It's all about family. I want to have these things for my family. Well, what are we doing there? Don't you think this would be a good example? Jerry's provide another good example of someone doing something that actually proves who's their top priority. You know, family a, over God. That's an excellent comment, Jerry. Thank you for that. Uh, you know, it, again, it's talking. We're talking about our priorities here, Dad, and uh, we really need them to be reset. And we really need to understand that uh, just a few years from now. It won't matter what kind of car we drove our family around in. It won't matter what size house we lived in. None of these things will matter. All that will matter is our relationship with God. Was it the primary importance in our life? Was it the most important thing in our life? You know, I can't even remember all the different cars I drove while the kids were growing up. And I know the kids can't remember. And it well, doesn't... I remember them. They weren't all that great. <laughs> they weren't great. But can... <laughs> now, I, I can remember a few of them, but I couldn't go through the list and name all the different old clunkers that we had. But, you know, as you look back 20 years ago, the car you were driving 20 years ago seems absolutely unimportant today. Uh, the kids don't care. You know, uh, there are things that, that do record in the memory, but it's not how big a house you had or how nice a car you drove. All right. Uh, certainly those things are unimportant. Yet we are very easily wrapped up in them when we're bombarded constantly by our neighbors who put those as a priority, by advertising and tells us it must be a priority. And it's very easy for us to shift our priorities away from God and onto those material things. And we justify it, as Jerry said, for our family. And uh, certainly appreciate those comments tonight. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Now I'm going to get to that much-anticipated email from Stephen up in Pennsylvania as well. Thank you for listening, Stephen, and for your comments. He says, in my opinion, the most common way that Christians are guilty of putting their own family before their duty to God is with regards to beliefs and practices. Children who are raised in a certain denomination will usually stay with that denomination. Psychologically, children want to gain the acceptance of their parents, especially while they are still living with them. Therefore, if a child was raised as a Methodist, then they will likely be a Methodist when they are older. When Christians that are part of the Lord's Church, uh, with Christians that are part of the Lord's Church, the child may carry over a belief of the parents that may be contradicting to the Bible. However, we should study the Bible and not be wise in our own opinion. He references Romans chapter 12, verse 16. Well, uh, you know, the, the idea I think that Stephen is suggesting is, you know, we believe what we believe and we practice what we practice because that's what our family always did. And, you know, my, my my parents did this, and now I've taught it to my kids, and we're in this. And if I was to make a change, I'd probably have to go against what some of them believe in practice. Now. I like, I'm like. i glad that he didn't just lump it all on those denominational people. He put it on, on all of us. We all could be guilty of— Yeah, we could point a finger at somebody that, you know, in, in, in the religious world that we seriously disagree with. But he, he's saying we got to look at ourselves. Everybody needs to yeah. look and make sure that what we believe and what we practice is— because God said so, because he's most important in our life, not what mom or dad said so, because they're secondary to our relationship with God. Exactly right. So I think you're, you're, you're right on, Steve. Thanks for that comment from Pennsylvania tonight. And we got one more here we got to get to, and then we want to go to this second question. By the way, let me remind everybody of our second question, so that because uh, we're going to get to this, and I think it's a, a topic that a lot of people want to want to comment about. Let me see if I can find it here, Jacob. Where, where's the second question in, case, in, in a case where church discipline or withdrawing has taken place, 
How should family members react to a relative who has been disciplined? We're about to get to that part of our study for tonight. But one more comment on putting family before God and ways it's seen. We have an email from Patrick. He says, first, I'll recount a conversation I had with someone a few years ago. The woman involved in the conversation was an overbearing mother of a young lady about my same age, 18 or 20 at the time. Her daughter was having trouble at school and being mistreated by some of her peers when she was younger. And her mother said something to the effect that she was a Christian. But when other children were giving her daughter trouble, she, quote, put her Bible down. In other words, when the rubber met the road, so to speak, Christian teaching went out the window for dealing with life's problems and her own human wisdom and secular way of dealing with life's problems was what she really actually resorted to. Uh, so now stop there for a minute. We're going to keep reading. But I think he makes an interesting point there. In other words. I typically wouldn't do this because I know God doesn't want me doing it. But if my kid's involved. You said something about my mama. Or you said something about some of my family. Then I'm going to act in an unchristian way because, in other words, when push comes to shove, I'm going to I'm going to act in behalf of my family, even if it's in opposition to the will of God. So I think that's a good example that Patrick mentions. He goes on, he says, I think another way parents especially can distort their priorities is putting their job or career at the forefront because they're so concerned with providing for their family uh, and they neglect their religious obligations. Perhaps they work seven days a week and neglect Sunday church attendance or they work lots of overtime or two jobs and neglect the spiritual direction and other emotional spiritual needs of their children or neglect their prayer life. So we commented about that already, but I think Patrick's right. He's hit on a on a uh, a true point. Lastly, I think that sometimes when children become rebellious or willingly wander off into a sinful life, perhaps they shack up with a boyfriend or girlfriend, become a drunk, or otherwise live a a life of irresponsibility. To maintain relationships with their children, the parents either condone their children's behavior or simply remain silent in such a way as to give a tacit approval. Even in these cases, the parents should still love their children and always extend the invitation for forgiveness and reconciliation. But that can be done without approving of their sin or becoming an enabler. For example, by giving them money when the parent knows the child will misuse it to buy drugs or gamble or other frivolities. I think that's a really good point. And, I, and I'm, I'm uh, sad to say I know lots of examples of parents even who are now a good bit older and, and they just have, they've been an enabler of the, of the, uh, misbehavior of their children they've remained silent they have not spoken up uh and when you do it why, why are you not doing that well because i love my kid more than i love god apparently if you if that's true of you then you're showing you love family more than god and remember jesus said he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me matthew 10 37 all right 877-381-4567 questions at collegeview.com thank you patrick for listening to the program and for your feedback uh, tonight all right i think we're ready to go to that second question jay we got a lot of feedback coming in on this one and uh, i think it's an important question let me read it again in a case where church discipline or withdrawing has taken place how should family members react to a relative who has been thus disciplined by the church uh, what do you think about that? That's a that's a, unfortunately that's a situation that a lot of us, maybe all of us, have been in at time at one time or another. What should we do? We got a listener uh, who's emailed in a comment. Uh, this is important uh, to this listener. Uh, we'll keep him anonymous tonight, but here's his uh, his comment uh, that is why this is important. My father was withdrawn from when I was a very young. 
The reason he was withdrawn from was because he committed adultery and has continued in this relationship to this day. I have struggled my whole life trying to make sure that I do what God wants me to do with my relationship with my father. He is still my father, but I cannot pretend that everything is okay with his soul when it is not. He says any help on this would be most appreciated. So we do appreciate uh, that comment tonight. And this is an important subject, Dad, and certainly uh, likely all of us have uh, situations where this uh, comes into play. Exactly right. So let's look and see what some of our listener comments are on this and then try to tie it into what the scriptures teach as well. Um, Randy, back to Randy in Jackson, Missouri, he says church discipline requires withdrawal so that the person loves Excuse me, so that the person loses the benefits and protection of the local church. The family members would still have family obligations with the offender. They still have a Christian obligation to confront the family member concerning their sin. I think Randy has has hit upon the answer that I would give. Uh, and I want to expand on that just a little bit by going right to an email we have from Jeff down in Warrior, Alabama, who writes in this. He says, Family exceptions, other commands related to responsibility, not sociability, must still be observed, as in the case of a husband and wife, 1 Corinthians 7, 2 through 5, parent-child provisions and needy relatives, 1 Timothy 5, verse 8. Now, uh, what he's saying is there are family responsibilities. This is different from social contact. I believe that when the Apostle Paul said that concerning such an unfaithful person, with such a one, no, not to eat. Let me read that to you in First Corinthians chapter seven. Excuse me, First Corinthians chapter five. Paul said, First Corinthians chapter five, beginning verse eleven. I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an adulterer or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, with such a one, no, not to eat. And then he goes on. That's in the context of a whole chapter where he's dealing with a situation like that. We're supposed to sever our social relationship with these people. In that same chapter, Paul said, verse 5, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 5, Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. In other words, what we're doing here is that we're taking this action, a very serious action. We're going to sever our social relationship with this person so that they, they can maybe be impressed with the seriousness of their spiritual condition that's that's why we're doing that that's the purpose of that action um now in second thessalonians chapter 3 verse 14 paul said if any man obey not our word by this epistle note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed yet count him not as a brother an enemy but admonish him as a brother so what jeff is saying and i think it's what randy's saying in his, e- his email jacob is that there are commands that are related to responsibility, not sociability. And those responsibilities still have to be kept. If I'm a husband and my wife has been withdrawn from, I still have responsibilities as a husband to her. I have to fulfill them. I'd be sinning not to. If I'm a parent and I have a dependent child and I won't provide for their needs, First Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8 that Jeff references says I'm worse than an infidel if I won't provide for my own. And so... When there, he says, the, the, let me start again. Commands related to responsibility, not sociability, must still be observed. The key here, he says, is learning where responsibility ends and where purely social activity begins. First uh, John 3.17. Brotherly discipline makes erring brethren, related or, family related or not, 
painfully aware that the faithful have indeed withdrawn from them until their sinful conduct is ended. This is the last most radical step to save a soul from death before it's everlastingly too late. There's something much worse than physical separation that's only temporary. Those in sin must not think that they can live in sin without consequence. I think Jeff has really nailed it there, and we appreciate his comments. I think he's he's uh, 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 expanded upon what Randy was saying. And the key is, as he has said, the key here is in learning where responsibility ends and where purely social activity begins. And so that, that, as we make these applications... Uh, there's going to be some personal judgment in these, and uh, certainly we've heard of people who have dealt with those situations differently, but we have to make sure that we do not cross that line and uh, get into those social activities uh, that God has told us to be aware of. I think that's right, and I, I, I think Jeff's got I think Randy is on the same track here, and Jeff just expanded upon that a little bit more. So to back to our listener who who has a father who is in an adulterous relationship, his soul is in danger that listener would have responsibilities to his father, even as a grown man, uh, when his father becomes of age where he would need uh, physical assistance uh, from his family. Dad, uh, there would still be that obligation as a son to a father who who is in need. Uh, we yeah. would have to fulfill that obligation on a physical level. Exactly right. Uh, Jim in Mount Pleasant says effectively the same thing here. Uh, he says uh, it depends when it's a case of a child, the parents still have a responsibility to that child. God does not require us to relinquish our role as parents. So in the situation of regular family duties, eating, sleeping, etc., I believe parents can still exercise their role and not violate God's commands. However, with respect to other family members, there's no such responsibility, and in that case, we must obey God's commands. If such a one has been withdrawn from, then we are to love them, treat them with kindness, pray for them, but not be able to have a common meal with them. I only want the only exception I'd make to Jim's observation is there. In addition to parent child, I would say husband wife is clearly clearly has responsibilities that we would include. So in your too. third cousin twice removed, uh, you don't have probably, an obligation to, to to eat to probably not. Thanksgiving I don't, day. I don't even think I know his name. I don't All think right. I have any obligation to eat with him. All right. Uh, let us know your thoughts. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview dot com. Oh, that's well, a microphone in front of your yeah, face. Yeah, I just hit it. But. All right. Let's take a break, and uh, we'll get everything back in order here in the studio. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Don't go anywhere. We'll continue after these messages. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. I'm Tom Goodall, a member of College View's Church of Christ. Do you have a question about what has been said on the virtual Bible study tonight? Perhaps you disagree with something that was said, or would just like more information about what you've heard. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us with any questions or comments that you might have. Email us at questions at collegeview.com, and we can discuss any of your questions or comments with you privately or over email. Or if you would like to speak with someone in person, call us at 931-381-4567. Our promise to you is that we'll do our very best to give you a Bible answer for anything that we do or teach, and that we will do so in a loving manner. So if you have any questions or comments about our program tonight or any Bible subject, email us at questions at collegeview.com or call 931-381-4567. Thanks for listening to tonight's virtual Bible study, and we hope to hear from you soon. Hello, my name is Preston Jackson. I'm from Valdosta, Georgia, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study on Thursday night. 
For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. All right, 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. We're talking about our relationship with our family. If you're just joining us on the program, a survey came out recently that said 7 out of 10 Americans put a relationship with a family member above their relationship with God. Now, it would be easy for us to answer no to that question and say God is most important, but what does our life say? We're looking at our life and examining our actions and asking what they say about our priorities. What is truly most important to us, our relationship with God or our relationship with our family? Talking about now disciplining those who are not faithful to God, how does that impact our family relationship? Let us know your thoughts over the phone or over email tonight. Jacob, uh, let's go. Let's let's take Brian's. Uh, Brian in Indiana has written in, and and he's taking a little different track on this than we did. Uh, let's read his comments. He says, in a case where church discipline or withdrawing is taking place, family members should react as follows: When grown family members have been withdrawn from, our responsibilities of family members should be no different than that of any other Christian. The withdrawal is meant to cause the sinner to miss the physical relationship they once had with those they cared about. This can be greatly undermined when family members carry on like nothing ever happened. When those who have been withdrawn from are allowed to participate in Thanksgiving dinner or other holiday family gatherings, how is that going to cause the sinner to repent? Uh, I don't believe a a relative should totally uh, avoid this person. Great care should be taken to admonish and plead for repentance. But I have yet to find a scripture that gives an escape clause for family when it comes to discipline. Romans sixteen seventeen says, Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Therefore, I have to assume that families should not be treated any differently than any other member of the church. We love our earthly family, but we must never forget the statement Paul made in Philippians 3, 20. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I'm pretty much in agreement with, with Brian's statement there, Jacob, with the caveat that there are some near family relationships that might require, uh, you know, a little bit of, of, if you had a 13 uh, year old son who turned his back on the Lord, you couldn't avoid that son. That's you'd right. have to, you'd have to, you'd have to give him lodging and you'd have to uh, provide transportation well, for that uh, child to get him. You know, you, where, you, he's you know. still your own and you'd be worse than an infidel if you didn't provide for him. First Timothy five or same for your wife. If your wife, yeah, and that's, and that's where I would have to just disagree with Brian slightly. He says when a grown family member has been, well, my wife is a grown family member, but if she's been withdrawn from and I'm still her husband, then I have marital duties to her that I'd be sinning not to fulfill. But Brian's right. This isn't an escape clause where you can say, well, my wife turned her back against the Lord, so everything can be exactly like it was before. No, there's going to be some consequences to that, and it's going to change our relationship. It has to change our relationship with every family member who goes astray. It's not an escape clause, but there are certain obligations uh, that well, we have to maintain. Well, we've got, we've got, to, take, we've got to, to harmonize those two things. Now, remember, in general, the general rule about those who have been disciplined by the church Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 14, If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Well, I'm going to have to have company with my dependent child. I'm going to have to have company with my wife, even if they've been withdrawn from. And so I'm going to have to harmonize those two instructions. And 
what I've got to do is, and I, I think this has been pointed out in these emails, what I've got to do is show them that I don't approve of their spiritual condition, keep pleading with them to repent and do what's right. But I still have responsibilities that are going to cause me to be in company with them and likely cause me to to, to eat certain common meals with them. Uh they got those those concerns got to be harmonized. But we're not talking about a relationship with our aunt or our uncle or uh, with a cousin or second cousin or in-laws. Well, what what I think here is that there's some judgment involved, and since it it becomes a judgment, I think this is the point that Jeff made in his email. Judgment has to be administered on an individual basis. As when does responsibility? And uh, what's the what's the dividing line between responsibility and sociability? And that's and 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 that's going to involve some judgments that I think we have we have got to leave some room for individuals to make some decisions about that. But I think at some point it becomes absolutely obvious, you know, like you said, if it's a second cousin three times removed, uh, you know, there's no there's no family responsibility there, and so you know I can I can make that decision. All right, Roger in Murfreesboro said, if the word family here refers to the physical family, then they should realize that by making a commitment to Christ, you put him first. Therefore, when a person is withdrawn from the church due to sin, each disciple of Christ should treat that withdrawn person the same as if he or she was part of our physical family or not. Uh, If it is a spiritual family that is important and should remain pure from sin, so Roger seems to agree with Brian, but I don't know if Brian, uh, Roger would make the same exceptions. Uh, he he might make the same exceptions. For I, I, I would agree. Com- I would agree with Roger completely in in general with just with just the exceptions that we've been stating in regards to close, very close family relationships where we have obligations, responsibilities, and those have to be factored in. Uh, you know, like you said, Jacob, if if what if I've got a, an adolescent child who's obeyed the gospel, maybe 13, 14, maybe a very rebellious 15 or 16-year-old kid, and the church has to withdraw from them because they just simply won't live right? I can't make them live right. As a parent, I've not been successful in getting them to live right, and now the church has got involved and had to discipline them. What am I to do? Am I supposed to put a 14-year-old out on the street? No, I think I'd be violating First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. And so, therefore, uh, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to both show that child right. that I don't approve, but I've got to fulfill my obligations and responsibilities. What as about well. a twenty-four-year-old? There's, the, there's where the judgment starts. You probably, in. when he's twenty-four-year-olds, say, well, you're, you're not living as you should. You're not going to live this way in my house. You're going to get out, and you're going to, you have to right. live that way on your own. I, I, I'm absolutely. I mean, here you are, a grown son, Jacob, and I got to tell you, if you become unfaithful, you're not coming to my house for Thanksgiving dinner. You can. And now, I don't know if that. Is I that all it takes? No. I don't know if that's a motivator or not. But I'm telling you, I, I know how I'm going to react to that. But I'm not. I'm not convinced that I can impose that judgment on everyone. Now, there may be mitigating factors in certain cases, and. You know, what if it's a what if it's a, a grown child who becomes seriously physically disabled and needs care, needs, you know, needs someone to provide physical care for maybe some horrible sickness or accident has left them in a medical condition. They've been withdrawn from and they've not been restored. They're not faithful to the Lord. But there's a case where even a grown child, I might have to have company with them in order to fulfill a responsibility that I think the Lord would place upon me. All right. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Time to take your comments. We hope you'll join in in the last few minutes of the program tonight. 
All right. Uh, Jason in Pennsylvania says, uh, in this case, for the well-being of the soul of that family member, you should withdraw yourself from them. We should do this out of our love and concern for the soul of, of that family member. We should also do our duty to try and teach this person the truth about whatever sin they are not willing to repent from, being careful that we ourselves do not become tempted. He references Galatians 6, verse 1, brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. So Jason seems to agree with Brian and uh, with Roger there, but uh, you know, again, uh, likely would make. Uh, They're stating the general rule that right. we agree and with. We, would agree with that. we agree with it too. Um, we got this email from Patrick. Now Patrick used to be a member of a Church of Christ. He says he's now a Catholic. So he's got an interesting take on this. You know, this is one area, one particular area where we probably are, uh, agree with the Catholics more than most. Others do, <laughs> because the Catholics do practice something they call excommunication. We don't call it excommunication. That's not a biblical term. We we just refer to it the way the Bible refers to it as withdrawing from someone. You know, a lot of uh, denominations uh, believe in once saved, always saved. Perseverance of the saints, do they practice that behavior? I, I don't think many denominations practice church discipline. The Catholics do. Well, I, I don't you, know how I mean, commonly yeah. they do, but they do. Uh, I don't know. But here's what he says. This is an interesting take, and we appreciate Patrick for emailing us this comment. He says, considering where I'm in life and the audience to whom I'm addressing this answer, this may be an awkward question, but I'll offer an answer, and you can take the good from it that you see fit. Since I'm a former Church of Christ member, now a Catholic, that being said, withdrawing or excommunication, as the Catholic Church would call it, should always have the aim of bringing the excommunicant back to reconciliation. It should not be some excuse to mistreat or demean someone or to otherwise treat them as though they are now somehow inferior. That would be contrary to love and would be counterproductive to the aim of bringing about reconciliation. Someone who has been excommunicated should be loved and prayed for. The point is to demonstrate that by the person's actions, they have cut themselves off from the Christian community and they have put their own soul in danger of eternal damnation. Gentle correction should be offered and the opportunity for reconciliation should be extended. An arrogant attitude should be avoided. Otherwise, a person may be likened to the hypocritical Pharisees who were more condemned than the sinners whom Christ came to seek and save. Now, I think that Patrick has commented about something that we want to stress, Jacob. This whole business, you know, we've had, I think we've had virtual Bible studies in which we talked about withdrawing or church discipline. One of the things we want to stress is this is not a thing done out of hatred or spite. But it's actually a, an action taken because we really do love the person and want their eternal well-being. Uh, we love their soul and we love God more than we love our social contact with them. And that's why we take that action. And I think Patrick's email has commented upon that from a little bit different perspective. But I, I think that that's that I would agree with the general tone of what he said there. All right. And we have an email from Stephen in Pennsylvania. He says, uh, family members should withdraw from the member of their family who has fallen away just as the church. In Matthew 18, verse 17, we see that they are to be treated as the heathen. This is not to say that we should treat them hatefully. Any sinner is an enemy of the Lord, but we still need to treat them with loving kindness. Romans 12, 17 through 21. In Romans 12, verse 20, we must remember that even we, when we were sinners, the Lord provided food and water for us. What is meant is that we should not socialize with those who have fallen away. I've seen situations where the family member who has fallen away has not been withdrawn from by their family. Unfortunately, this individual most likely does not turn back to the Lord. But what about uh, the spouse who was once a Christian and later falls away? Surely the Christian in this instance 
still has a duty to fulfill as the husband and wife, 1 Corinthians 7, 3 and 5. In such an instance, the spouse who is the Christian should strive to be an example for their significant other by worshiping the Lord, 1 Corinthians 7, 12 through 16. What about the unbelieving husband who wants their spouse to fall away from the Lord? Sometimes 1 Corinthians or 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 1 through 5 is taken out of context. If the unbelieving husband wants their spouse to fall away, well that spouse is not to listen to her husband, rather do what is right according to God's law. The key with all of this is that God comes first. Besides we know how the husbands are supposed to treat their wives 1 Peter 3:7. In such a case those husbands will be judged. And so I think I would agree uh, with uh, Stephen there. Yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, I think Stephen is is pretty much uh, right in line with uh, the answers that we've given to this question. It's a it's a it's a tough question, and as you said, Jacob, it affects a lot of us, all of us, perhaps have that situation in our families, and it's not easy. There's some judgment to be involved, but the the general rule is clear, and then we've got to make some judgment about close family relationships where responsibility and sociability both are factored. And I think back to Jeff's uh, initial answer that we read, we got to make that determination where responsibility uh, divides from sociability. That's a tough question. All right. Well, we had a good discussion tonight. Dad, seven in ten Americans. Isn't that an amazing say that a family member is more important to them than their relationship with God? I guess we'd have to say without any reservation that seven out of ten Americans are not in a right relationship with God. That's plain and simple. The other 30 percent, I guess, is still up for discussion. But if you're admitting that uh, God is not the most important thing in your life, not the most important relationship, there's no question uh, that uh, you're not in a right relationship with God. Yeah, I got real quick. I got an email at a different address here, Jacob. I want to get this in from our friend Pat and Pat and Donna out in Iowa. How about the family that goes on vacation or a trip to visit family but does not plan to attend services while they're gone? There are some that go out and visit family with a sound congregation less than an hour away but will not take time to attend services. What do you say to them? I say they're wrong. And it's a case of loving the family more than loving God, and that's what we've been talking about tonight. All right. Thanks, Pat and Donna, for listening tonight. All right, Dad. We're out of time, but uh, we do appreciate our listeners' comments. And uh, if you have any comments about what you've heard and you're listening to this in the archive, take a minute to drop us an email or leave us an audio comment and let us know your thoughts. We can use your comments on a future edition of the Virtual Bible Study. Dad, thank you for your time tonight. Thank you, Jacob. Look forward always to Thursday night in the Virtual Bible Study. We look forward to you joining us again next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.